Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing? Oh, very well. Did you see the eclipse? I did. I got up early, a little bit earlier than usual, and saw most of it this morning. Yes. Yes. How 
How exciting. I think you're a little bit west of me. A little bit um, west. Yeah. I think you're a little bit west of me, so I think you might have gotten to see a little more that I woke up just as as the first bite was being taken out of the moon. Mm. And then I went and stood in the shower because I knew otherwise I'd just fall asleep because <laughs> it takes a while. Yeah. And, it right. was, you know, it was really like a bright, full moon. When I went into the shower, when I got out of the shower, it was dark. And all the stars were out. Mm. And then uh, it got down to the last little sliver of the moon, and the sky started to lighten with dawn. Wow. So, I didn't, so we, didn't, we didn't quite get the the end of it. I, of course, just, you know, went to the Internet and said, who's live streaming the eclipse? And there, of course, was somebody with a telescope set up that was live streaming what was happening, so I got to see it. The last little bit wink out. Very nice. Yeah, <laughs> we did the sun rose here just as it was about three-quarters of the way out of the shadow. So... We, okay. I, I got to see most. Yeah, I got to see most of it. it was, yeah. It was Ooh, yeah. Very exciting. And mm-hmm. we have been having light frosts, and the poke has gotten kind of brown, but it's still kind of standing up. How's your dis- yours doing? Because uh, we were, talk- of ours are- we were talk- talking about it last week and how it just kind of crumples to the ground. And it's not doing that this year because we haven't really had what we call a killing frost. Mm-hmm. Right. No, ours are still standing tall. Some of the berries are looking a little more sad and heavy um, on yep. where they're hanging. But, yeah, it's, they're still standing. But on Friday, we're going down to the 20s. And staying in the twenties and stuff. Yeah, really a Yes, that that will be the hard frost. That will be mm-hmm. the one, the killing frost. And then, mm-hmm. uh, then things will be different in, with the plants. And, and, yeah. with mm. and with us. So what are you up to? We're, we are making applesauce and apple butter and apple cider. Mm. Wow. I thought about you. In the, the, did you say you got a 1,000 pounds of apples? Yes. Wow. I was trying to imagine that because we have apple trees out by the barn, and that is an immense amount of apples. <laughs> wow. It's a, box, it's a box of apples, and we get it at a farm that has thousands of those boxes. Mm. Wow, Filled that with, must be a... This is the Hudson River Valley. It's one of the world's largest apple-growing regions. Mm. Wow. And wow. What, we have, been... what we have are cults. They're cider apples, right? So they're slightly bruised, or they have a nick in them, or a wasp took a bite. They're the apples that, in the sorting house, were sorted out. 
I see. Wow. Wow. So have you made all of your butters and the ciders? Are they? Have you pressed it out and done, done all that yet? The, yes. The basic answer is yes. The apple okay. bin, the wooden apple bin is empty. Those wow. apples have turned into apple cider. Right now it's juice, but it will become cider. And mm. applesauce and apple butter, which is just sauce cooked longer. And we don't put anything in it. It's just the apples. And there's some apples set aside for, like, what if I want to eat an apple? Or what if I want to make an apple pie? Or, huh. And I sliced and quartered about 20 apples and drenched them in lemon juice and hung them up to dry. Oh, nice. Wow. Yes, the lemon juice keeps them from discoloring since I don't use a dehydrator. Mm-hmm. That's so marvelous. And you can use it. You can do it even if you use a dehydrator, but then usually you want to, like, put wax paper or something on your dehydrator because the lemon juice does make it a little bit messy. I had <laughs> one of my strings mm-hmm. broke. So I got a spa treatment of lemon-drenched apple rings all over my head and hair and face. That's the great part about homesteading. You always get free beauty treatments. Yes, and they're usually the fresh from the fridge or the field. Yes, I love it. I love, love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've not been putting up apples, and we didn't have a lot of greens this year, so I've mostly just been playing in the yard, and uh, now that the leaves have fallen, I'm really able to put down the seeds that go down in the fall without worry of breaking them away. So I've been doing that and um, just hanging out with the goatees, really, getting used to the time change. It, it, it always feels a little jarring to me the first couple of days, but um, yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, but, you know, whenever I switch time zones or whenever they change the time, I take a, a really firm attitude of not looking back. Mm-hmm. I, oh, wow. That, yeah. You know, there's, no I, there's, there's so many people who say, who like live in California and they come to New York and it's like 3 o'clock and they say, oh, well, it's noon back home. That's what I mean by looking oh. back. Right. Yeah. Or even the other way right. around. It's not like looking back in time. It's like looking back to where you were. No, this, that's, this is the agreed upon unit of measurement for this place at this time. So just go with it because really does it matter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Be fully right. present. <laughs> just don't, don't, it's, it's not worth bucking. There, there's enough in life that you're going to want to be aggravated about without it being that. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Uh, and the moon is gorgeous tonight, too. Oh, I saw it rising when I was coming in from closing the barn. It was, I was, oh, so beautiful. Yes. yes. And mm-hmm. that's a nice part of the time change. Yes, I like being out in the barn at night in the dark, much more than in the morning in the dark. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I just deserve that. Myself. I wouldn't have expected that, but at night in the dark in the barn is just so, oh, there's something about it. But, yeah, the mm. morning I appreciate the light. And there's enough windows in our barn that on nights like this at the, with the full moon, you can do the barn by moonlight. You can do milk. You can milk by moonlight. Oh wow, wow, that's pretty fun. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> As it would have it, the one light in our barn that doesn't work is in the stall where I milk. So I'm often milking in the darkest place in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, last year we said, "Oh golly gee, it's just so much easier to freeze the applesauce, right? You just like put it into the bags and put it into the freezer and wash up, and you're done. It's like oh, so much easier than canning it." which is what we've mm-hmm. pretty much always done on the occasion that we've frozen it. Um, and then we talked about it this year, and we agreed that it cuts down on the amount we can give away to freeze it. Oh. It's really hard to say to someone, you know, hi, but I'm so happy to be here. Here's a quarter frozen applesauce. <laughs> right. In a plastic bag. Not... Yeah. It's just uncool. Right? It's, like, <laughs> it's not like giving them a jar with a pretty label. This is so true. And, wow. Right. And, I mean, we're, I think we're going to be putting up between uh, 25 and 30 quarts of applesauce. Mm-hmm. And, Amazing. you know, Far more applesauce than I could ever eat. The whole intention of getting the apples is to have enough to give away. So we just said, all right, we're committed. We're going to can this year. Wow. You know, it takes a little more. But on the other hand, once it's canned, you're not dependent on any more energy input. Whereas when you freeze it, Mm. you have... You have to have constant energy input to keep it frozen. So are you, like, sterilizing the jars with hot water and then doing a hot water bath when you fill them, or how do you... You know what I do? You know, the the canning pot has a a metal rack, right? And Uh I just put the jars in the metal rack and put it in the boiling water. And then I take them out, empty the water out of the jar if I want to into another pan, wipe the rim of the jar, fill the jar, wipe the rim again, put the lid on, put it in the boiling water, take another jar out, dump the water out. That way I don't like, you know, have the deal where you're lowering the rack into the boiling water and it's too much boiling water and suddenly it's like all over the stove in your feet. Mm, Right. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So by sterilizing the jars, by boiling them in the canner, with the canner with the right amount of water, and then taking them out with the water in them and emptying that water into something else, down the drain or keeping it, you know, if you if you want to conserve that water, 
that way I have the right amount of water in my canner, too. Wow. Very nice. Yeah, and then I don't have to go through a whole other thing about sterilizing them. They're just in there in the boiling water for as long as it takes me to get my applesauce boiling and get my funnel and my scraper and my head together. Wow. Right? Sounds like undertaking. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Can, you are, canning, you have to be like really, really present and really rigorously there. Mm-hmm. And we also decided that we were going to invest in new jars, even though we have jars. Um, <clears throat> because it's always tragic when a jar breaks in the boiling water. Oh, boy. That would be tragic. <laughs> it is. It is. And they break um, around the bottom. Mm. You know where you know where the bottom kind of curves. Absolutely, yep. That that makes sense. It breaks right there at the curve. Wow! And then the bottom does it stay in one piece usually, and the rest falls apart? No, the, the, it's just two pieces: the jar and the bottom. But of course, all the contents oh. is all in the boiling water and all over the other jars. And it is a capital M E S S. Right. Right. Well worth the investment of new jobs. <laughs> uh, well worth the investment of new jobs. So we have a very exciting guest who's going to be with us tonight. I don't think that we've ever talked to anyone um, on the show who's a Reiki master. Now, there's lots of people out there who do Reiki, including Justine. Justine does Reiki. And why are you not opening? Do not be difficult now. Put yourself in an open mood. Thank you. And our guest tonight, Dr. Ginny Whitelaw is an 86th generation Rinzai Zen master, a Chosai Zen priest, and the founder of the Institute for Zen Leadership. So she's going to be telling us about some real root experiences and understandings and teachings behind a lot of the things that have come into common usage that perhaps we don't really understand the depth of them. She wants to transform leadership and turn it into perma-leadership, like perma-culture. So stay with us until 9 o'clock or come back so that you can hear Dr. Jenny Whitelaw. Do we have anybody with any questions? Uh, Yes, we have a caller that has pressed 1 to raise their hand. I'll remind everyone listening that if you've got a question this evening, you'll need to press 1 to raise your hand, and that will allow us to see you in the queue. And uh, we have two callers that have pressed 1. 
the first caller has dialed in from the 313 area code. From the 313, you are live with Susan. Susan, good evening. It's Zara. Good evening. Hi, hey. Hey. So my question tonight is um, about my wisdom teeth. Oh, dear. (laughs) Dear, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) So I have one wisdom tooth that's growing, like, right out the side into my cheek. And I haven't really had any problems with it until this past week. And I started getting, like, tightness in my jaw. Like it wasn't it wasn't opening very far, but it also wasn't really hurting me. But then I started taking echinacea, poke, because I don't want it to get infected. It didn't seem infected at all, but it was awkward. <laughs> yeah, it so, sounds like. Yeah, like I couldn't even brush my teeth really hard. Oh, no. To like cry my teeth open. Uh, really oh, strange. oh, oh, dear. Not good. Not good. <laughs> so um, it's it's a bit better today. I took a lot of echinacea over the last four days. Poke. I was spraying some yarrow back there. And putting echinacea kind of right on it, so it would kind, so it would numb it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and so it seems like it's better today. But I also went to the dentist, and the dentist said that they could take it out for me. So they're going to take it out in a couple weeks. Good. Um, but they wanted to – I also have another wisdom tooth, so I was wondering if I should get them both taken out because the dentist is like, well, we just take them both out. But I don't know if that's necessary. And then the other thing was that my dentist wanted to put me on antibiotics right now. And I was like, no, thanks. I don't think I need that. <laughs> and so she was like she was like okay well I don't know anything about herbs so I believe you that you can handle this but I would prefer if you t- started taking antibiotics now but I'm not going to get my I'm not going to get so what I say so so what I say at that point is consider it done Considered them, I'm taking antibiotics. When I was in the medical system and they said, you're not doing chemotherapy, I said, I am doing chemotherapy. I am doing mistletoe therapy. It's not your chemotherapy, but it is chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. her antibiotics, but it is antibiotics. Consider it yeah. done. Yeah. Okay. Well, I ended the conversation with her with saying, thank you for for putting your trust in me that I will be able to yeah. not have yeah. an infection when I come in next time. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, and, so, and she's worried about you're getting an infection from the extraction. One of the first 
actions that I took as an adult was to have my wisdom teeth extracted. All mm-hmm. four of them. It changed my life. Did you have life. that at the same time? I, as I recall, it was two at a time. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you if it was like right side, left side, or above and below, but I'm guessing it was one side and then the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was 20. And I was, have never regretted having my wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> One of the things that Weston Price, you know, literally shows, I mean, in his photographs, is that as the diet changes, the jaw, the human jaw, becomes too small for there to be room for the wisdom teeth. Mm. And they come in, they shove and crowd all of the other teeth and for no good. Mm -hmm. Well, I, when I was in my 20s, I didn't have wisdom teeth. So I hear they're just emerging now. Yeah, so I only have two, and they've emerged in the last five years. Must be all that comfort you're drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, darn. (laughs) I was so impressed when I was in West Virginia at the herb conference there that a woman who... She doesn't do the research herself, but she researches what other people are researching so that she can report on it. And she said that they have found that comfrey both promotes the growth of the cells that build bone and limits the growth of the cells that eat bone. Wow. Okay. So, one's an osteoblast and one's an osteoclast, but I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> that I remember which is which. <laughs> okay, so my next question is, um, for, for, the, for my own personal treatment, do you think that echinacea is enough or should I add in some other herbs? You're asking me to predict the future. Okay. I hear you. (laughs) I hear you on that. You are alert enough to know. I will I will go when you need to up the ante either by increasing the dose of echinacea, decreasing the amount of time between doses, adding poke root to it, using some usnia, whatever you think, yarrow topically, whatever you think is gonna be the most help for you, I know that that's what you're gonna do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, do I have time to ask one other question? Yes. Okay, so 
this this one isn't about me, but it's about um, my friend who is three years old, and she has had five double ear infections in the last year. And her parents are kind of really at a loss these days because of the antibiotic-resistant infection because it keeps coming back and they keep giving her antibiotics. So I guess my question is, um, like, is that something that they culture? And then if so, would I be able to, like, help her with herbs since it seems like they're at a loss in the medical system? I'm not exactly sure what they're culturing. The infection would have to do with your helping her with with herbs. Okay. Um, So my experience has been that Anti-infective herbs work against infection. Mm-hmm. The dose has to be large enough and it has to be frequent enough, but they do work against infection. Yeah. Um, and they don't, they don't create resistant bacteria. Yeah. The, the eustachian tube, the tube that connects the ear to the mouth in children is more parallel and less slanty. Like if you think of where your jaw hinge is and where the ear ear opening is, that's kind of a, a line that slants down. And if you think of a child's face where the jaw hinge is and where the ear opening is, it's like more like a parallel or a straight line which means that if they go to sleep with anything in their mouth, it can easily get into their ear. Okay, so it could be like a bottle or a sippy cup or something like that. Anything in her mouth. Causing the problem. Yeah. Okay. And I know that it can be hard for them to go to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. if they're acclimated to going to sleep sucking on something? Yes. Yes. Okay, so... So, so, so the so, other option is to have tubes installed. Mm-hmm. And they're basically yeah, which, just little, um, you know, tubes that are slanted. Mm. Right? And so that doesn't happen. I see. Yeah, I have known some people that have had tubes because of dealing with the consistent ear infections. And so would you think that it would be, so then that would be a bacterial infection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if it was viral, then it would it would go away. 
like it would clear and there would be other different symptoms. In general, children's ear infections are bacterial infections. Okay. Yeah, my kids never really had problems with ear infections. <laughs> so I don't really have much experience with it and I'm feeling very I'm feeling very sorry for this little girl. And she's having high fevers and Ooh, yeah, it's and it's antibiotic resistant. So feel like I need to come in and So help when you say it's antibiotic resistant, you mean that the fever doesn't come down when she takes antibiotics? Right. So it's because she's had, like, multiple ones over the last year. I think she's had five or six double Mm -hmm. ear infections. Mm-hmm. Then it's like the first time it was able to be treated fine. But it's like now it's on the, the fifth or the sixth one and that it's not working this, the way that it was, the antibiotics. So even when she takes the antibiotics, she continues to be in pain and have a fever? Yes. This is is certainly a perfect place to say, let's try some herbs before we go for surgery. Yes, because at this point now she's getting shots of the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And again, my experience is the way that we're using herbs as tinctures in vodka there aren't any bad reactions with drugs. You can use anti-infective herbs with anti-infective drugs, and it's okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That, that was important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you find it's not okay, come back and tell us. Yes. But, you know, before I published abundantly well, for the two years before it came out, in 2018 and 2019, where I taught at quite a few conferences, and I asked everybody at those conferences, every opportunity I had in my classes and at dinner and so on, there was thousands and thousands of people, to tell me about interactions between drugs and nourishing herbal infusions or tinctures made with fresh plants in 100-proof vodka. And there were none. Mm-hmm. In fact, People said, really, the only interactions they'd ever seen was when the herbs were used in capsules. Yes. I I have not had any problems with giving um, tinctures to anyone, including my my dogs, my children. Um, no bad reactions whatsoever. And not just reactions to the tinctures, but no interactions if they're taking drugs concurrently, even drugs that do the same thing. 
Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like people can take a drug that's to lower their blood pressure and take Hawthorne and or motherwort and or passiflora, and it's not like suddenly their blood pressure is going to plummet and they're going to faint. They faint, yeah. Which is what people are worried about. Well, it's an additive effect. You have the drug that's doing this and then the herb that's doing this. And so then they're, because herb, that's not how herbs are doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because there there's some type of like modulation with the herbs. Well, herbs have hundreds of hundreds of different constituents, so they're just a little uh, more complicated than drugs. Yeah, they're more complicated, so they work in like a broader um, holographic way. Right, in a more complicated way, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much, Susan, for your. Thank you for your wonderful questions. Using the herbs. Yes, 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 and yes. I, I will, I will let you know. I am going to work with this little girl, um, and yeah. I will let you know how it goes. I'm confident Wonder. that I can, that I can heal myself <laughs> and deal yes. with my extraction. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll talk okay. to you soon. I love you so much. Love you, Sarah. Love you lots. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, green blessings. Green blessings. All right. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, you'll need to press 1 so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. At this time, we have one caller that has raised their hand, and you are dialed in from the 607 area code. From the 607, you are live with Susan. Hi. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me all right? Hi. Hi, my name is Valerie, calling from Gilbertsville, New York. And this is my first time talking to you, and I'm, I, I'm so happy to to be able to uh, to talk with to ask you a question or two. Um, I've been uh, using herbal medicine for many years. Uh, I've, I've been following the Dr. Hulda Clark's protocol for cleansing and so forth, <clears throat> and uh, and then I use herbs uh, for other things too. Um, and uh the 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 thing i'm interested the information i've been doing research on and and i'm trying to find answers to is uh how to uh use queen anne's lace as a contraceptive for my cats and, <laughs> and um i i think uh, well i guess i would like your opinion on that i i ordered uh the part of Queen Anne's lace that is contraceptive is the seeds. Yes, and I have a tincture. Tincture doesn't it, work. Oh, the tincture doesn't work? Correct. The seeds is the part that's medicinal. Oh, this is, I'm sorry, this is Queen Anne's lace tinct, uh, seeds tincture. Not the tincture, the seeds. Okay, but, but this is a tincture made from the seeds. Does it work? Well, I I did try it, uh, it the, the last the last time uh, she was um, in heat. I did try it, and she didn't get pregnant. 
so uh but i'm i'm sort of in the dark i i i haven't talked to anyone yet who has who who knows what they're doing with regard to applying this uh to to animals well robin rose bennett picked up on a piece of information in my book wise woman normal for the childbearing year I, 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 did, I got that, your book, yes. Mm-hmm. When I said that women in India used Queen Hensley seed, and the way they used it was they took a tablespoonful of the seed and they mixed it into food. Okay. And they took a tablespoonful mixed into food, which means they chewed it and swallowed it and digested it, for th- about three days mid-cycle. And over a period of 10 or 15 years, I would think, uh, maybe even longer, Robin Rose actively talked to women about using wild carrot seed and explored various ways of using it. And what she found was that it's highly effective when the seed is chewed up. Hmm. And no more effective than guesswork when the tincture is used, at least for human beings. It would be I'm sorry, what was you said about... Perhaps that's, perhaps that's what you're telling us. I'm certainly open to that being true. I have nothing against it. Mm-hmm. But what she advises human women to do is to get the seeds and chew them up. Now, possibly, if you had seeds, you could grind them and put them in the cat's food. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's going on here is that if you think about eating a tablespoonful of seed or even a teaspoonful of seeds mm-hmm. chewed up or ground up into your food, and then you try to convert that into tincture, mm-hmm. it would probably be like half a cup of tincture. Hmm. So, uh, okay. <clears throat> right? I, I, I don't know. Um, the tincture. Well, I, mm-hmm. Did you make the tincture? No, no, I bought it. Uh-huh, I and, understand. And it's, uh, it's a glycerin based. It's not even a tincture. What did you say? It's not a tincture? It's not a tincture. Glycerin doesn't make a tincture. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it says here, wild carrot tincture uh, glycerin. It can say anything it wants. I have a bottle that says cannabis tincture, and what's inside it is oil. Mm-hmm. Or okay. yet, somebody gave me a cup of yogurt, and it said honey vanilla yogurt when i read the ingredients there was neither honey nor vanilla in it and when i called the Mm. company they said well uh, we don't have to put honey and vanilla in it just because it says it um, as part of the name Mm -hmm. for heaven's sakes for heaven's sakes what (laughs) (laughs) well anyway (laughs) the instructions on this anyway the instructions on this for humans is to take a one to three Droppers full um, as as needed, and I what I did was I gave her um, eight drops 
mixed with a tiny bit of water uh, each day for I think it was about eight days during when when she was in heat and for a few days afterwards. Well, then and, what I would say is do it again. Mm, yeah, and see, <laughs> see if it works. Yeah. Right. The thing about the chewing is, of course, the cats don't chew. They right. Uh, yeah. They, they uh, what do they do? They tear apart. <laughs> Yeah, they just kind of rend it and swallow <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very strong stomach acid. Yeah. But in general, for with herbs, with applying that to, to a, like a small animal, would you just essentially uh, it, um, just reduce the amount based on the, the size, you know, how, how the, the size of the animal compared to the human I'm not given, the, given, that there, well. given that there are 10,000 herbs currently in use as herbal medicine, I can't make a blanket statement okay. about it. Um, and the thing I can say is that most cats do very poorly when given real tincture. And a tincture is something that's alcohol-based. I see. Like, like you have a glyceride, mm-hmm. not a tincture. And some cats are wildly allergic to tinctures and foam at the mouth and go into convulsions. The ones with the alcohol, you mean? A real tincture, the actual tincture, not a glyceride, a tincture. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that I was just... the other thing I was thinking when you were saying you had tincture, is cat, tincture, not good combination. I see. Okay, so this is a glyceride. Okay. Glyceride, right, which means that it's, hasn't I would suspect that it has virtually none of the constituents of the wild carrot seed in it. Really? Really. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I could feed her feed the the kitty, you know, ground up the you know, the ground up seeds. And maybe I'll try that too. Do you have seeds? Um, I did collect some this fall. Good. Uh, yeah. Excellent. I yeah. can grind them with a, just a little mortar and pestle, I suppose. Yeah, electric grinder is probably better. Okay. Like a little coffee grinder. Co- coffee grinder, okay. Right, but you don't want one that's actually ground coffee because I don't think cats like coffee. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, well, okay. I appreciate this um, I'll have to order some more seeds too because I, I didn't collect you know all that uh, much. I well, I'm, they're not generally not an item of commerce. Oh yes, but I, I did find a site that had that, that actually sells. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good on that. Well, I, I have another question too. I, I've made a couple of other tinctures based on your um, your recipes here. Uh, the goldenrod, which I I think is marvelous. Um, I just absolutely love goldenrod tincture, uh, and um, and a stevia tincture. What else? Uh, cloves and a few others. Anyway, uh, but I cannot find. I, I'm looking for organic vodka, and I cannot find a hundred proof. I can find ninety proof. But where do you get a hundred proof vodka? Have you found any? Uh, that's that's organic, or I'm not very worried about it being organic. Oh yeah. Okay. But isn't vodka made from corn? No. Uh, pardon? No. Oh, 
What is it made of? Potatoes? First of all, let me say this. There is no GMO corn in the human food chain. In the human what? In the human... In, there's... Vodka, if it's, if it's made from corn, which it isn't, it wouldn't be made from GMO corn, which is what I think you're worried about. Yeah, but I think, it, I guess vodka is made from potatoes. don't be worried. Hmm? Don't I'm be sorry, worried. Wait. Do not be worried. Don't be worried. Okay. What, is, what is a genetic modification? What does that mean? Well, I would rather not use a GMO. Product. Why is it that you would rather not use it? Because I think they, they're not uh, they're not natural. They're not they're not natural. Okay, let's just talk about this for a moment. What is a genetic modification? It's when they go in and change the genes. All right. Now let me ask you this: Have you ever eaten cabbage? Yes. All right. Is know. there a wild plant that makes a head of cabbage? Uh, no. All right. I'm aware of. And get from the wild mustard plant mm-hmm. to the head of cabbage you are eating required women to genetically modify the plant. In fact, the mustard plant, the Brassica oleracea, is mm-hmm. so easily modified that we have taken that one plant, Brassica oleraceae, and we have made from it cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, and collards. Those are all the same plant. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all genetically modified because that's how we eat is by genetically modifying plants. And we have forever, for at least 30,000 years, human beings have been hard at work genetically modifying plants. Now let's look a little deeper into this. We're talking about genes, right? Genetically modified. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Are there fish genes and human genes and tomato genes? Mm-hmm. Well, my concern is more. Uh, I just that, would that like, I, wait, I don't want to. I would like, really like you to answer me. Okay, I'm sorry. What was your question? Are there what? fish genes, tomato genes, and human genes? And and what about them? Are there? Are there? Are there, it, Would I would I be able to say these are fish genes, these are human genes, oh, these course, are tomato yes. genes? Yes. yes. No. No, I could not. Oh. No. No. Genetic material is exactly the same in every living organism and consists of four base pairs. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Okay. So this, if I gave you a nail mm-hmm. that had been used, could you tell me if it had been used in a church or an outhouse? Hmm. Interesting. No. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> It is truly all one. It's not just a saying. Mm-hmm. Now, let me give you a specific so that you begin to see how your mind has been distorted and led into paranoia and fear. When I was in New Zealand, 
I met a woman there who was pretty excited about some work that she had been doing. In fact, she had come there really depressed. She was deeply concerned about small farmers and that worldwide climate change was putting small farmers out of business and enriching the wealthy agribusiness. Mm-hmm. And what she wanted to do was to make a frost-proof tomato. Mm-hmm. Because one night of 30 degrees and your tomato crop is ruined. Mm-hmm. And that's right. happening more and more in areas that grow tomatoes. And she thought it's not unnatural, for goodness sakes, there's plants that stay green all year long. There must be a not-freeze gene. Mm-hmm. So she spent a lot of time, she told me, trying to get to the not-freeze gene. She said and it was like doing plumbing blindfolded on your back with your left hand in the dark. Mm-hmm. The not-freeze gene in the plants that don't freeze is so old that it's deep down in there and she just couldn't get to it. And finally, in despair, she gave up, went for a vacation to New Zealand, and, of course, People whose minds are active are never really on vacation. And somebody said to her, do you know that there are fish that swim in waters that are below freezing in Antarctica? And she said, what? It's salty water. So the water can actually be liquid and below freezing and the fish swim in it. She said, whoa. So she managed to get herself some of these fish. And the not freeze gene turned out to be from a plant. Hmm, interesting. That the fish had taken in to make itself able to swim in those sub-freezing water. Very interesting. And because this had happened relatively recently, evolutionarily, which means like only hundreds of millions of years ago, mm-hmm. not not thousands of hundreds of millions of years ago, she was able to get it. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. She was able to get the not freeze gene that came from the plant that was in the fish and put it in the tomato. Did she put a fish gene in the tomato? That's interest- very interesting. She didn't, did she? Because there aren't any fish genes. Mm-hmm. And there aren't any tomato genes. They're simply genes. Mm-hmm. It's the most natural thing in the world. And everyone that I've met who's working in genetic modification is a loving, large-hearted, concerned person, most of them being women. Mm-hmm. Because they want to feed everyone. Mm-hmm. And they want to take care of everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, well, I just want to stay away from Roundup Ready. Have anything yeah. to worry about? Furthermore, there has never been any genetically modified plants in England, whereas in the United States, we've already eaten canola oil, and canola oil is genetically modified. It's the first genetically modified food. It's been in public consumption for over forty years in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we took the 50 most common causes of medical deaths, not like, you know, accidents and so on, but, you know, heart disease, 
mm-hmm. specific kinds of cancer and so on. And he compared the rates in England and the United States. Mm-hmm. So we had a country which had never eaten GMOs and a country where GMOs had been eaten for 40 years, and what we found was no difference of any kind. Hmm. Interesting. Well, anyway, I just we want to say we just want to purchase organic because if you're frightened of it, you're not going to support wise use of it. You're going to let the bad people make all the rules. The, the what people? The bad people. The, the yes. people who don't aren't for people. The bad people. The I, people I don't, who don't always care hear about people it, because you're opting out. Because of paranoia. Always clear and I phone. say that that paranoia has been brought about by the people who are standing to profit. And that if mm-hmm. we get over our paranoia, we will be able to use GMOs for the good of all. Okay. They're not going away, and they're not oh. bad. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And vodka isn't made of corn. No, true. But I just wanted to mention... One thing, if I may, yeah. and that is that, that Roundup Ready corn is, is genetically my, modified to accept the pesticides that they're putting on. It's the pesticides I want to stay away from. Roundup is not a pesticide. Roundup is Roundup. Is it herbicide? Oh, really? Yes. What is it? It's an herbicide. Okay. It's not a pesticide. Okay, well, anyway, herbicide, pesticide, I would like to stay away from herbicide. Well, they are very different. Mm-hmm. They're extremely different. Okay, well, I, I definitely Things want to stay away from that are organic doesn't mean they're safe. For instance, here in the Hudson River Valley, a lot of apples are grown. And it's a river valley, which means when the trees are blossoming, mold is likely and so usually a fungicide is sprayed. Now, that can be a so-called non-organic fungicide, which biodegrades in about 36 hours, or you can use an organic fungicide, which is copper sulfate, which builds up in the soil and the water and makes the land unusable within about 100 years. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. Organic doesn't mean safe or good. Mm-hmm. Well, in many instances, non-organic is safer and better. Mm-hmm. I don't go out of my way to buy non-organic things, but I also don't necessarily go out of my way to buy organic vodka, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, if we think about the chemicals we want to avoid, and I'm with you. I don't want mm-hmm. to be eating a lot of chemicals. Nobody wants to be eating a lot of chemicals. Yuck! But let's think about chemicals and how they get into and out of our bodies. And we can broad, make a broad stroke. There are water-soluble chemicals, and there are oil-soluble chemicals. Mm-hmm. And water-soluble chemicals, well, there's a water-soluble chemical in asparagus. What happens to it? I, I I don't know. What happens when you eat asparagus and then you pee? Right. What happens? Does your pee smell? I, I suppose. I hadn't noticed, but I don't eat that much asparagus. Well, there's a very strong smell. 
in most mm-hmm. people's urine from the asparagus because water soluble chemicals usually leave your body within an hour. Mm-hmm. Your body doesn't hang on to water soluble chemicals. Mm-hmm. They're not a problem. Oil soluble chemicals are a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's not really much of a solvable problem because once you ingest an oil soluble chemical, it literally fuses into your genetic material and every cell in your body, which is protected by a lipid layer as well as your fat cells. Mm-hmm. So you can't detoxify. So you cannot the whole, the whole, you know, campaign about detoxification is simply a way for people to make a lot of money and unfortunately for many of the people they deal with to get a lot sicker because mm-hmm. of the really wrong idea of there being anything that's toxic or that needs to be cleansed. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this has been very helpful and, and you've really opened up. Um, okay. Can I take this one step further for you just to help sure. us sure, all a little bit? So oil-soluble chemicals, as I said, pretty much are stuck in your body once you get them in there. But that's not 100% true. There are actually four ways that your body can get oil-soluble chemicals out. Mm-hmm. They're not great ways, but yeah, they're, they're there. Every time you ovulate, your egg, which has a lot of fatty material, contains those chemicals. Mm-hmm. Every time a man ejaculates, every sperm contains those chemicals. Okay. When you lactate, when you breastfeed, your mm-hmm. milk contains those chemicals. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, women above the Arctic Circle can no longer breastfeed their babies because their milk is so contaminated with chemicals because these are called persistent organic pollutants and they build up in the food chain, never, ever leaving. Mm. Well, in other words, you cannot detoxify from them. The earth can't be detoxified. Your body can't be detoxified ever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from these. But they do come out in your eggs, your seeds, your milk. And what does that mean for us in terms of buying organic? I, I don't know. What? It means that every bit of that we eat should be organic. Mm-hmm. Right? That if, the I would, fat, I would. If, the fat, if we're not buying organic olive oil and organic butter, mm-hmm. then anything else organic is kind of silly. Yeah. And any product that contains a lot of fat, milk, cheese, eggs, those are the kinds of things that need to go to the top of our list in terms of buying organic. Okay. Well, I do, yeah, I do eat organic. Well, so once you do that, that's great. But, but it's not necessary. Necessarily. Like, you know, we'll go out and they'll buy, like, organic produce, and then mm-hmm. they'll buy the cheap butter. And I understand. You know, I really understand yeah. the impulse. Yeah. And just, you know, just to kind of, like, help myself envision what was going on, mm-hmm. um, I roughly figured the amount of chemicals that would actually wind up in one pound of non-organic butter. And it was mm-hmm. the rough equivalent of the amount of chemicals that you would ingest by eating non-organic produce for mm-hmm. 10 years. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Because yeah. it's concentrated into the milk and then it's concentrated mm-hmm. into the butter. Yep. Well, I so agree. Yes. Right. Um, Great. Thanks for letting me go through all that with you. <laughs> Thank you for the information. Um, I'll worry more or less about the uh, about the, the plants. <laughs> exactly. The plants are phytoremediators, right? I I, I guess I I don't know. Phy- phytoremediators. It gets rid of heavy metals and radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just got a letter from someone who said, you know, I don't know if you remember me. I took classes with you long ago, you know, when I was a, kind of a spunky kid, and I just want you to know that I went to college, and because of you, I, I majored in phytoremediation, and that's what I do worldwide now. I'm a worldwide consultant in phytoremediation. Wow. <laughs> right? And, you know, we're using plants, we're using mushroom mycelians to sop up oil spills to really change what's happening when there are disasters to make them not disasters. So mm-hmm. hooray. Mm-hmm. For all of the all of the ways that humans and plants play together. Mhm. Well, wonderful. Yeah, well, I I so appreciate uh, all this information, and I'll let you know how it works with with my kitty cat also. Wonderful. Thank it, you so much. If it continues to work. <laughs> yes. Thank you That's so much. Well, yeah. let us know either way. Okay. I will. <laughs> And, and in the meantime, if you'd like to adopt a kitten, I'll... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you so Good much. Good blessings. Thank Good you. Night. Okay. Goodbye. All right. And at this time, I don't see any hands raised in the queue. So I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question, you do need to press 1 so that we can see your hand go up. Um, and there we go. I have a caller that has pressed 1 in the 317 Area code the three one seven. You are live. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, I have um, I have wanted your opinion about something. Um, there's an apartment complex that's close to my house, and in the middle of their parking lot, there is um, a power line pylon. And I know that I've heard that it's not good to collect herbs or you know to forge herbs that are underneath power lines. And I'm wondering how dangerous that is for the people who live in that apartment complex to live with the pylon in their parking lot. Does that make sense? I get nervous sometimes. Um, Well, you know, it's interesting. It's actually two different issues. Okay. So the first issue is, is nature safe? Or is nature only safe if there isn't any human interference? Okay. Um, I'm, are the plants growing I, under the pylon? No, my concern is that if it's I just, not I good, just, I'm curious. Are there plants growing under it? Are they? Is it sprayed no, or something? No, it's a parking lot. It's a parking lot. Okay. Right in the middle. But what about the next pylon? Complex. What about the next pylon in line? The ones where there are plants. Are the plants grow under them? I haven't because you said it's not safe to harvest plants. Well, so I want to know, are plants growing there? If it's not safe to harvest them, they must be growing there is what I'm saying. 
I was speaking in terms like but in general. They're growing there, then I'm going to trust that it is safe to harvest them. That's not my my concern is that people who live there, there shouldn't be a pylon in the middle of the parking lot. That's a totally different thing because people are mammals and not plants. Okay. So you can't say this orange has a rind, therefore we have to peel the grapes. Okay. You just, you can't compare plants and especially a spurious belief about plants and electricity to people and then carry over that spurious belief about the plants and the electricity to people as though somehow that all like equaled out or worked. It doesn't at all. However, I'm not saying that electricity has no effect on people. Okay. In fact, not just electricity, there's uh, AM radio and FM radio. And there's broadband, and there's television, there's broadcast, and there's um, radar and sonar, and there's all kinds of stuff going on through your head and your body, you know? Yes, ma'am. In fact, the medical literature doesn't even have a disease called anxiety until we started putting all of these different energies into the air. Interesting, huh? was, Yes, what was that last word you said in your sentence? The last until, we, until we started putting different kinds of vibrations, energies, into the air. So this is invisible to most people. Okay. Right? And then when it gets visible to them, it comes with a whole boatload of paranoia about it. Okay. Thank and you. it's one of those things, it's like someone, it's like two, you know, us being in the ocean and someone taking us someplace and saying, look at this area, it's wet. Thank you. <laughs> that calms me. Thank you so right? much. Right? I mean, we are awash in the stuff that said, I wouldn't want to live under a high tension line. I did almost buy a property that had a high-tension line running through it okay. from, from Niagara Falls down to New York City. Um, but um, the goddess, of course, always intervenes and protects me. Thank you very much. And, and while that was happening, because of the title search coming back really bunky, um, I realized that the, the man of the household had had several heart attacks and that she had a pacemaker. Oh. Right. Oh. A pacemaker, what? Because the electrical activity of your heart is not working? Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend Ryan Drum, when he decided that he was going to harvest herbs and make herbs available to people, he wanted to have only the highest quality herbs. And so he moved to an island where there is no electricity. Wow. So he would say, as I am saying, you know, we're just talking a matter of degree as to whether you're harvesting under a pylon or harvesting 10 feet away from a pylon or harvesting a mile away from a pylon because 
all of us and all of the plants are constantly bathed in all of these vibrations. Okay. Right? Right, right. And again, if the plants are growing there, then I'm going to say they're okay. Now, again, remember, I ask you, has it been sprayed? Because often under these lines, they do spray herbicides. Okay. And you definitely don't can't harvest plants then because all the plants are dead and brown. The great thing about Roundup, I'm not a Roundup lover, but it has some good things to it. And one of them is that it's actually a lot less problematic than the stuff it replaced. And the other thing is it stays put. So if you put Roundup someplace, yeah. the plant right next to it doesn't have any. Okay. It doesn't leach out into the ground and spread. Oh. My daughter shares like a fence row with a neighbor. So there's a, you know, a flower bed, a fence, and a flower bed. And right. he puts Roundup on his flower bed. And her flower bed is filled with echinacea and goldenrod and wild grape. And obviously the Roundup isn't touching it, right? Right. I tend to be less paranoid about living in the world than many other people. Okay. Possibly because I know what's really going on. Yeah. There's no place to run. There's no place to hide. Right. When I was teaching in Alaska, there were some researchers there from UCLA, and they had been studying the amount of chemicals in the water, the soil, and the air in the Los Angeles Basin. And they decided they would go to Alaska and measure the water, soil, and the air up there so that they could make a comparison. And what they found was that there was a lot more chemicals in Alaska than in Los Angeles. Oh. There's no place to hide. That surprises me about Alaska. Because of the way the currents and the winds blow? I just, well, I just thought it would, I'm surprised that there's more, you said there's more chemicals there? You bet. Because of the way the winds and the currents blow. That's sad. It's the last frontier. Well, when I said that there's chemicals in the egg and chemicals in the sperm, if you put mm, two and two together, or even one and one together... You would say, are you telling me, Susan, that all human beings born since the, the 40s had been born of eggs and sperm already pre-contaminated with chemicals? I would have to say yes. And I thought not only that, we had been looking at cord blood for probably, I don't know, maybe 75 years now. And the number of chemicals has gone up and up and up in cord uh-huh. blood at birth till it's now, I think, over 450 different chemicals found in the placental blood. That's, that's awful. And, and we're going to, like, concern ourselves about organic this or organic that. We're preloaded. Yes, ma'am. And, then, and they're not leaving. No detoxification is going to do anything to it. So, thanks for your question. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you, Green Bliss. 
Um, one more thing, ma'am. Oh, one more thing. If Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. By, by chance, will you ever be coming to Indiana to do, like, a conference or class or anything? I if, there's a conference, if there's a conference going on in Indiana and I get invited, then I am happy to go. That's what happened oh, in West Virginia. They had the West Virginia Herbalist Conference, and they said, will you come and be our keynote speaker? And I said, oh, gee, sure. Okay. Um, and one more thing. What do you think about the cottonwood tree? Did, do you, does it really have a lot I of love cottonwood. I love aspens. I love poplars. Um, I, I love balm of Gilead. The whole populace. Uh, genus is just so delightful to sit, you know, on a beautiful fall day and see the golden leaves shimmer and shake in the in the sun. Whether it's my quaking aspen or the aspen of the Rockies or the cottonwoods deep down by the waters or the balm of Gileads as you go west, uh, poplars are um, trees that come in fast, grow fast provide lots of forage. Animals love it. Yeah. And and all of it you know, provides not just the balm of Gilead. All the buds are aromatic, the balm of Gilead, especially so, right? Right. And it's in the Bible, too. Isn't it? They so? about oh, this. There's, there's, they're worldwide. We're distributed worldwide. And as I said, they come in fast, you know, so when an area has been disturbed or trees have been cut down, one of the first trees to start growing in that area will be the poplars. And they'll help shade, you know, provide shade for the for the young hardwoods, the maples, yes, the oaks, yeah. right, and grow up um, in the loving care of the poplars. Yes, ma'am. I also have this past year. I've done my series of shows for HealthyLife.net on trees. And I did a whole hour show on poplars. Oh, wow. Medicinal uses, magical uses, all of the different ways the poplars are used. And let me see. This is healthylife.net. And poplar was August. Okay. So it might still be there. They archive for three or four months. Will you give me that web address one more time, please? Healthylife.net. It's a radio okay. station. Oh, okay, okay. Radio station, and I'm one of many um, presenters. Um, some of them, you know, real like you. You say, whoa. I mean, they had like really great people like they had Lynn Andrews who did a regular show for them Bernie Siegel does a show for them it, it, they have wonderful wonderful people you'll really have, be happy to have stumbled onto healthylife.net okay great All thank right. you so much you're welcome great blessings good night good night alright and I do not see any hands that have been raised at this time I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question and would like to speak live to Susan, you'll need to press 1 so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. Um, what would you like to do? We have a couple email questions. I was going to um, say, I bet there's an email question. 
Yes. All right. Let's see here. All right. Hello. Is there anything I can do to help improve and preserve my eyesight? I'm in my early 40s, and I've worn glasses since high school. I see the optometrist every year, and every year my eyesight gets a little worse, and I'm given a new prescription for new glasses. Do you know any ways to help me keep my eyes from getting worse every year? Thank you. Well, let's first ask ourselves what's going on here. And what's going on is that the light that's coming through the lens of the eye is somehow being distorted so that the image that hits the back of the eye isn't clear. And what thought does that is muscular tension. So that as we age and we seem to have less muscular tension in our eyes, it becomes harder and harder to see small things near to us. We become able to see things far off more easily. So, one of the first things that we also want to acknowledge is that when our eyes are measured, they are measured not to a natural standard. That kind of seems to be the thing of the night, doesn't it? What really is natural? Well, it's not natural to have 20-20 vision. If the vast majority of people in the world wear glasses, then obviously having 20-20 vision isn't natural. It's not normal. It's not that norm. Is it better? If you need glasses in order to do your work, then you need glasses. And I'll tell a little bit about my personal life. I had this thing about kissing people who wore glasses, and I kept making people I was kissing take their glasses off. And then they had their revenge on me. And they said, we're not going to kiss you until you take your contacts out. And I said, what? Come on. I mean, the glasses get in the way. My contacts don't get in the way. They're adamant. Wow. It's like, you know, I had this, made this whole little, like, like um, a mutiny here that was turning on, on me, my, my, my innocent contact wearing here. And so the long and short of it was that we all decided to enroll in a Bates Eyesight Improvement Workshop. 
And you know, the Bates method, I'm sure, is still out there. Check it out. It was a lot of fun. I am really glad I did it. I'm really glad I learned about palming, and I'm glad I did the exercises, and I still do them. To this day, I will still palm now and then, and I'll, like, I know about, you know, the kinds of eye exercises that are good for my eyes, and if I'm waiting in line, I'll do them. Uh, but really, what I found out during that time was that I see just fine. I just don't measure up. In fact, I, the only person who's nearly 80 who has to take her glasses off, because of course I have glasses, right, to read the phone book. I want to wear glasses for seeing far away, because I still don't see really clearly far away. However, when I fell in Costa Rica and broke my glasses, I couldn't get a, a the appointment with the optometrist because it was, mm-hmm, yeah, one of those COVID years for months and months and months and months and months. And I didn't have any glasses. And I found, you know what? You know why? Remember all those years back when you said that really the truth of the matter is you can see just fine and here you are and you don't have your glasses and you can actually see just fine because, in fact, the road signs are huge and the traffic lights are enormous and you can know the difference between yellow and green and red. It's not like you need your glasses to see that sharply and distinctly. So one of the things I suggest to anybody who's concerned about their eyesight getting worse and worse and worse is take your glasses off. Wear less. Right? It's kind of like my sweetheart and I bought the same kind of shoes on the same day. And two years later, I said, look at your shoes. They're just wrecked. And mine are like practically new. And he said, you don't wear them. So if you're always wearing your glasses, your eyes are going to adjust to them. Those muscles are going to adjust to that and probably over-adjust them. Then you're going to need stronger lenses, right? Because the muscle actually changes the shape of the eyeball and distorts the lens, right? Think of the lens as having a curve. And then the muscles of the eyeball are like pulling on it and flattening that curve or making it be more extreme. And wearing your glasses, according to Bates, encourages the muscles not to be in tone because it provides a fixed focal distance which prevents your eyes and the muscles in your eyes from constantly adjusting in the same way that I know, I know that my whole body is healthier because I walk barefoot, not just because I had my feet on the ground, which of course is going to make me healthier, but because when I walk and I walk over uneven terrain, all of the muscles and the bones and all of the points in my feet are being activated. We are complex beings. When I put on shoes, all of that stops happening. It may be safer for certain feet. I certainly understand that. But we also, even if our feet are at risk, to take our shoes off, we don't have to walk around and just put our feet on the ground. The same thing as one of the first things that they suggest is you don't want to keep getting your prescription stronger, stronger. Take your glasses off. Take your glasses off. Learn how to palm. Go out in the sun. Get some sunlight. Palm your eyes and see what happens. Did the Bates method make me see better? Goodness gracious, no. 
did the Bates Method help me to see what I can see? Yes, indeed, with great gratitude. Green blessings. And I guess I could also mention, you know, um, that the obvious, which is that the what makes children blind is lack of keratins. And to keep our eyesight acute and good, we want to include plenty of cooked orange and red foods. So, tomato sauce, not raw tomatoes. Baked squash, not carriages. And that said, I am wondering if we have the honor of having Dr. Ginny Whitelaw with us. Yeah, Dr. Whitelaw is here. How wonderful. Dr. Ginny Whitelaw is an 86th generation Rinzai Zen master, a Chosai Zen priest and founder of the Institute for Zen Leadership. With more than 25 years developing whole leaders, she's the author of Resonate and The Zen Leader and co-developer of Phoebe, a personality assessment linking mind and body and behaviors. Formerly, Manager for Integrating NASA's Space Station Program, Dr. Chinney has a Ph.D. in Biophysics and a fifth-degree black belt in Aikido. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susan. How are you? I am so enjoying the beautiful autumn weather. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And it is beautiful, right? Full moon and all. Full moon and all, and I woke up just as the eclipse was starting, so I got to see see it, although it dawned before it was total here. Um, I was so intrigued by your idea about perma-leadership. Can we just jump right in there and you tell us what perma-leadership is and how you came to it? Oh, of course. Thank you. Um, perma-leadership. You know, you think about the ethics of permaculture, care for the planet, care for people, care for the future. And at one level, it's just common sense. And another level, if every leader practiced that in their business, in their organization, it would be revolutionary. And that was the aha, it was the spirit of seeing how, how could we elevate a form of leadership where people would care the way they would care for their own eyes, you know, that would care out of a place of connectedness, not separation. And that's what we really bring to it from a Zen perspective is how to help people experience that samadhi, that connectedness that lets them expand their view one with, not apart from, but a part of. And from that place of connectedness, reimagine how, what, the, what they can heal in their world, you know, with the relationships or the organization or the business models or whatever it is they touch and do, how it could be more 
whole, more healed, uh, closer to nature, more caring of the relationships and ecosystems of their life. And then to shift themselves, to energize themselves to become that future and co-create it, to realize it in the principles of thriving living systems, which could be captured in permaculture, for example. So it's a cycle of connect, reimagine, energize, and realize. A cycle that can be applied again and again in your life and mine toward the, the matters we face to bring about conditions that are more attuned with nature and caring for people, planet, and our shared future. All right. Yay. And, you know, I think that we are seeing that. I think that more and more we are seeing leadership, especially at small levels, that is connected and caring. I think we are. You know, it, it, it represents a kind of advance in consciousness that is emerging, you know, on the planet and in humanity, uh, an advance in consciousness that feels more connected, and we are seeing it. They're like dots of light. And we're also seeing where the enormous systems that have been created under, I'll call it, earlier stages of consciousness, more regressed stages of consciousness, are still very much in power. So there, there could be, we're kind of in this mixed place right now where uh, business as usual is not working. Systems are disrupted. The global order is changing. The climate is heating up. The biodiversity is collapsing. There's so much changing all at the same time. It's a very dicey time for humanity, for leadership, uh, for families, for society. And we're seeing that response, as you say, more people are, are starting to find ways to care for that bigger picture. There is much more uh, resurgence of indigenous wisdom, of returning to um, permaculture principles and understanding how nature would solve some of the problems we face. So, you know, it's like we have the problem. I have, I have, never, I have never found indigenous people to be very involved in permaculture. In fact, I found quite the opposite. In New Zealand, the Maori hunted every bird weighing more than one pound to extinction within about 30 years. They burned down 4,000 acres of virgin forest to plant a sweet potato. What's the truth throughout the world? Indigenous people say, we are the people, and all of this is ours, and we can use it any way I want. In place after place, I've had indigenous people point to extremely rare plants and tell me common uses for it. And I say, uh, shouldn't we conserve this? What if it's all gone? What about our grandchildren? And they say to me, there'll be another plant, a different one. I think permaculture is, is really important, but I don't think it's indigenous thought. You know, I, I don't think that I'm the right person to represent that because I'm not indigenous by nature. I come from a very colonized culture. Um, exactly, exactly. I, and, what, and you kind of fantasize about what indigenous people are. And indigenous people are us. We're all indigenous on this planet. We live here. What, and what I, think we are, I think you're correct. I think that was at a different way of looking at our 
interconnectedness is arising because, let's face it, most indigenous people in most places were at war with every other indigenous group around them. What I have learned, and we've, we've learned to cooperate in these wonderful ways. Now, eighty-six generations—that's mind-boggling. We're talking like two thousand years of lineage. <laughs> about fifteen hundred years, yeah. About two thousand fifteen hundred, yeah. Um, it, it then has moved from mind to mind through many generations, from the awakening of Gautama Buddha through China, you know, through twenty-eight generations in India, through generations in China, generations in Japan, and has moved to the West over the last couple of generations. Wow. Wow. Phenomenal. You know, I often say that being brought up as a Jewish father and a Catholic mother in Dallas, Texas, where you weren't really allowed to be either, and so I was taken off, you know, to Holy Roller churches and other great examples of Christianity. (laughs) So by the time I was 15, I knew that it was all a pile of steaming you-know-what. What a fertile field for Zen to fall into. <laughs> well, you know, I also grew up in the in the Catholic Church, and I, 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 by the time I was ten years old, I was asking questions that I couldn't get good answers to. So something right. in me was really questing, was really hungry, and was really wanting to get to the bottom of it. So I think I had that spiritual hunger that you describe as well um, and and approached it every way I could. When I got to um, uh, graduate school, I I was studying starting to study martial arts and Aikido, and my Aikido teacher said to me, if you really want to be at the peak of your game, you have to start meditating. And I thought, well, I trust this teacher, so I'm going to do what he said, and, and um, found um, that it – it made a, such a radical difference in life. So early on in my training, yes, it was about making life as I knew it better. But there was a crucial stage, especially when my life completely fell apart, where I didn't want to protect my life anymore. And that's when I just dove into the training whole hog. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was wonderful. It was wonderful and, and difficult, but wonderful. So... Uh, we, develop, uh, we develop practices so that when life does fall apart, we have something to practice. Well, it's, uh, it, it changed my practice then because in a way when things are humming along well, the ego gets very attached to all those things, right? It's, you know, oh, there's yeah. no reason to, right. But when there's the suffering then, then the, or the bottom falls out, you just go, wow. You know, I don't have anything to protect anymore. Everything sucks. So, you know, it's, it, then there's, there's something that just a spaciousness opens up where you can just discover, well, what is this about? Wow. You know, let me, let me sit with that. Let me breathe with that. Let me, let me do everything I can with that. So did you, did you at that point discover Zen meditation? Was that the meditation form that... Was available to you? Well, I had already started. Because of your connection with Aikido? Yeah, my Aikido teacher was training in Zen. He had a wonderful teacher in Hawaii and introduced us to this teacher, and we all started training with this teacher. Um, So that was um, available to me. Zen was available early on, but I would say I kind of danced around its edges for a number of years 
and it and then it was probably eight nine years into my training that I got very serious, deadly serious, <laughs> because my health had kind of gone gone down, and and so a lot of the dreams that I had about my life or thoughts that I had about my life weren't working out the way I thought they would. So it was kind of when all of that was lost, wow, then I could really train. Then I could really train. Wow. Wow. I was listening to a a song today with a wonderful lyric. It says, sometimes the road chooses you instead of the other way around. Yeah. (laughs) How would we know? (laughs) Because now it goes both ways. So how would we know? You thought you were in control. Mm-hmm. Now, mm. Aikido, I think, has a lot to tell us about leadership. Indeed, it does. It's you know, I, it literally translates as the way of harmonizing energy. And harmonizing there doesn't just mean making nice with; it means using. You know, reading, using, redirecting. And so you get very used to reading the energy of situations and working at a more subtle level than just you know, he said, she said, you know, you're starting to read kind of intention and, and what's under the surface and how to work with that and how to um, merge with it. You know, Aikido is based in the join, you know, how you can merge with different kinds of energy and lead people in ways they can move. And while that's very physically practiced in Aikido, it's, it's a great metaphor for leadership writ large of how you can reach people where they are, join with where their energy is going, or put things in ways they can move toward, uh, and, and help them move in, in, in new directions. Yes, that, that is really the Aikido move, which is here's this yes. energy coming at you, and instead of countering it, you say, let's go together. Yeah, thank you very much. Right. Thank okay. you very much for this gift. Let's go together. You come over here with me or I'll come over here with you, whichever works better. Right, and and suddenly you're going off in the same direction. And you're going, wait a second, you're supposed to be struggling with me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a way to yeah resolve the conflict rather than feed into it or run away from it. You know, so it gives a different kind of use of power, which is, again, a power that cares for people, cares for the planet, cares for the future. You know, it's a caring, loving kind of power, which I think is so needed in the world. I was talking to my granddaughter, 15, and um, we were talking about the, in New York State, there's a really cool sticker that you can get when you vote. It says, I voted. And it's kind of this multicolored kind of spider monster thing. And it came from a contest that was uh, done among all the school children um, at, for a sticker, for the I Voted sticker. And the child who won said, you know, there seems to be a lot of conflict in the adults, so I drew this monster, and it's like really perfect. And I said to her, really, really, when you come down to it, what this is about is it's between the people who care about other people and the people who care more about themselves. Yeah, you know it's it's um, and you know we're we're living right at the time where it's it's all unfolding, isn't it? Um, this is a this is an emotional and anxious day for many people as we try to figure out which direction our country is going, and um, it's and, and, and that's just in the United States. I realize there could be people all over the world listening to this. Or all over the world, and to have yeah. you know that lunar eclipse. You know, 
charging, you know, the the beginning of that day. It's like I, I, all of the astrologers are like, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> about what this is portending and what it's meaning. It. Uh, which seatbelt we should fasten? <laughs> That's right. Which seatbelt? But you know, to your point about caring for self, caring for other that we grow up through stages where we all start out caring for ourselves. I mean, that's what, that's what you know, little kids will see everything through the ego once the ego boundary is formed. And then through socialization and through stages of development, increasingly we start having a broader circle of care. What, what I have so appreciated about, about meditation and Zen training in particular is that it opens us to this, Samadhi, it's called, but a connectedness and experience of being the whole, being a part of, being the other, literally, physically being that, that is a kind of one witness that, that where your care isn't just an act of altruism or, quote, being a nice person. It's like the common sense that comes out of a deeper understanding of who you are and what is going on, what this is. So that is, a, to me, a, a leap in terms of how we can have that kind of care with one another. If it comes out of our own genuine experience that, you know, in a sense, you're an other self. You know, in a sense, this is, this is part, there's one thing going on, and we each get, you know, a pair of hands and feet to play the game with. There's, so there's the subjective experience, but there's not the total totality of who we are. That experience opens us up to a broader caring and a resilience that, um, again, leaders really can use today, both to see the bigger picture of what they can address, or if they already see it and feel anxious about it, to be restored and resilient in their, in their sense of connectedness, get their feet on the earth. So tell us a little more specifically um, about either your books or your programs or people who are interested, what would they get into next? Would they read something you've written? Would they come to your website? That's a, such a generous question. Thank you, Susan. Uh, zenleader.global is our website, zenleader.global, and there people can learn about our programs. We have open programs that anyone can come to to learn about uh, learn Zen leadership, where they not only learn the basics of meditation, but the skills of leadership, embodied skills that help them bring that kind of connectedness and skillfulness together in in working in their world. So there's Zen leader programs. Um, we also are uh, planning a summit this spring in Perma Leadership, which is Zen leadership applied to the climate crisis and applied to mm-hmm. how we can, you know, um, how we can face into this time in ways that are more generative and regenerative. Uh, so that uh, that summit is going to come up around Earth Day next year. So you can stay tuned on that. We can see details of that on our website starting at the beginning of the year. Right now they can find all of our programs. Now what happens in a program, um, most of our programs are online right now. That started during COVID and has continued. Um, so they don't have to travel for them. They can do, but uh, they will find that they are still taking a journey throughout a, a, a three-day <laughs> program, where um, we will we do physical practices, meditation, as well as um, different kinds of 
breathing exercises and uh, Tai Chi kind of movements, energy practices, and then go through these flips of leadership, radical reframes that help people shift out of coping mode into how they can transform or from or kind of thinking to and kind of thinking or from blaming things out there to being able to find their power in here or from trying to control and, and, and control situations to how to connect with situations. So there's a whole series of flips on which Zen leadership is founded that we move people through. And, it's, and they're transformative. They, they, these, are the, these are things that help people be bigger than the challenges they face. So that's, that is all available to people. And um, I, I encourage if, if someone kind of resonates with what they're hearing, to check it out at zenleader.global. Zenleader.global. Thank you for making this so accessible and available to all of us, to anyone who has an inkling that you could be of use in this way. Um, I am sure that I speak correctly for you when I say, yes, you can be of use. Oh, of course. <laughs> the, the human being is, is uh, everyone's got it. Right, everyone. And I find so many people who stop themselves, you know, and they say, well, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough, I don't know enough, and I go, wherever you are right now, it's enough. And you want more? You want more? Look, here it is, right? Do it. And, you know, my granddaughter says, it seems like nobody wants to be the leader. I said, you got it. Leaders are in demand because there's not a lot of people who want to be the leader because leaders often get piled on. Yeah, they can. They can. Um, or they don't, or there's a lot of confusion in leadership. I mean, it's, it's, as, as Joshua Cooper Ramos said some years ago in writing The Seventh Sense, he said, if, if you are looking around the world and you're not at least a little bit confused, you're not paying attention. So, right. It's <laughs> a job. There's a lot of places of not knowing and the willingness to hang out there and learn in public, in a sense. You're learning in public you're, 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 and, and doing the best you can. But that's okay. Uh, there's just... Uh, you know, we take a very broad definition of leadership as that sincere attempt at expression of the authentic self to add value, to help people, to add value through your authentic self. So getting connected with your authentic self, there's, that's where Zen goes much further than I'll call it conventional leadership development because it's going to blast through the ego to a fuller sense of who you are. Real and then sense. how you express that. You know, how you express it, that's where your purpose comes through, or what we'd call, what the conscious mind would call purpose. But what it is that's unique about you that needs, that, that comes through you. Everyone's got that. So what is that, you know, for each person? It's like we're a, an antenna, in, you know, capable of picking up certain signals and, and transmitting certain signals. And, you know, part of my, my, my work with, with Resonate, you know, one of the books that I wrote, is how to help people find what they really resonate with and then be able to put that signal into the world. Um, so basically what, what, you so what, you're, what, your what, what you're available to do is to say, what, what do you resonate with? And here's how you find it. 
and how can we put it out in the world and here are some ways to do that. Now, this may be asking the utterly impossible, but can we do any of that in like five or six minutes? Um, what part of it would you like to tackle? I don't know. Maybe um, let's, well, personally, I'd like to tackle the last part. People who, lots of people have good ideas, but it seems hard for them to get them out into the world. Do you find that? Yeah. It, the, um, so let's, let's stick with that because what I like, what I like people to imagine, and you might think about this in your own life, or any of you listening, think about it in your life. What is it you're trying to realize in the world? I mean, picture it. Picture what that success looks like. Is it so important to be able to focus our energy toward what we want, not what we don't want? So, what does that look like when that outcome is there? So, for example, I'm planning a summit this this April, and I can picture what that summit looks like. I can picture the people it draws together, the threads of learning and inspiration they're getting, the way they connect to each other, projects they could get involved in afterwards. I'm picturing it. And then I come to the next question, which is who do I have to be in that summit? Who am I in that? What do I have to be doing? What has to be true for me as a leader for that to be present? Well, there's a lot of relationships I have to form that aren't formed yet, or there's certain connections, there's people I have to talk to, there's, there's a set of things that are different about my day, my habits, my connections and relationships that, that need to shift. But when I exactly match the Ginny of that April summit, that April summit will be now, because I exist in now, and so do you, and so does everyone listening to us right now. So the process of realizing things in the world is a process of personal transformation. You match the future you want. And when you match it, you bring that vision from the future into the present because that's where you live. Yes, I also find when I do that that it's very clear to me what the steps are. Exactly. So I said, I I want to write a new correspondence course. Because it seems to me that there's a lot of push out there to get herbalists to be professional, and I, that's okay. I don't, I'm not against that, but I also want to be really clear that you don't have to be professional, that you can be, just be an herbalist and you can just treat your family and your friends and, and help others. Right? You don't have to be a Zen priest to meditate and to help others. No, that's right. That's right. Right. We could, this is, these, these are things that we can all do. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to have this course done in this amount of time. And it's going to look like this. And so I need to do this much every day to get there. Yeah. Yeah, so you can backcast from where it will look like to what needs to happen now or what has to happen in the next three weeks, what has to happen over the three days, you can... And then, and then when you get there, you are there because you're always there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> As you said. Right. <laughs> and it's a wonderful and, feeling. And I also, and I, you know, when I hear you talk, I think about how I read that so many people in the world feel lonely. And it's almost incomprehensible to me. 
And it's yeah. not because I'm surrounded by people. I live alone. But how could you ever feel lonely? Because one feels separate. Right. When, when you know that there is no separation possible. Now, there's knowing and then there's knowing, right? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, so we can tell ourselves, oh, I'm connected or I, I, you know, I, I know I'm part of something bigger. But if our subjective feeling is I'm so alone or, you know, nobody understands or nobody, nobody's there or, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in this solitary existence, you know, the um, the feeling of separation can bring out a great deal of loneliness. I mean, it's it's a and, that, it's, and as you said, that that Zen meditation directly counters that and says, well, it, yeah, choose, choose to be connected. It's you know the the connected state, the connected experience arises on its own. So it's not something I'm, in fact, I can't, I may not will it because the I that would want it is what disappears, you know, so it's not. That's for sure. But you still have to make a place that it would be happy to live. There you go. You create the conditions. You right. create, you make a place where it's happy to live and it moves in. There you and go. it moves in, right. <laughs> Well, I so enjoy speaking with you, and we're coming close to the end of our time, so is there anything that you wanted to talk about that you haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet? Let's get that in. Let's get that in. Well, you know, what I might just offer, um, even for anyone listening right now, just as a simple practice that can help. Mm, address some of that anxiety or aloneness or or how do I get startedness or anything a simple grounding oh. practice um, oh, yes is, thank you yes it's just to um, if you hear the hear the you know our, our talking even now letting out a long slow exhale just letting out a long exhale that could just like drain down to the earth as if you were like conducting, you know, rain from a from a rain gutter right down into the earth. Just a long, slow exhale. And if you can feel your feet in the earth, even better. Your big toes connect to the earth, even better. A sense of rootedness in the earth, even better. And just let everything settle down. And in that settling down, notice what starts to shift in your experience. Just notice what starts to happen. And... You could splurge and take another breath and let this exhale come even slower. And what you might notice is little parts in the body that want to adjust a little bit to let the breath slow down or to untense so the breath can settle. And that's good. Just let those things settle. And maybe even a third breath that's even slower. And you can hear in my voice as I'm slowing down my own breath, how we settle down, how in that settling down, calming down, we get into a state where even the rate of thought starts to slow down. And in our busy lives, this slowing down can be so useful for a refresh, a restore, and being able to take things as they come with a kind of resilience. So I would just offer, if you have time for nothing else, remember you're always breathing, so why not do it right? 
And that's a nice, long, slow exhale that helps you just settle down and relax when you need that kind of grounding. Thank you. And I am so happy that more and more people are starting to understand that if someone is upset, take a deep breath is the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, upset is already high. And already, already bringing too much oh, in. Higher. Do not take another deep breath. Breathe out. Breathe <laughs> out. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. In Aikido, we say relax completely. It, to do such useful advice of relax doesn't mean like a couch potato relax. It means help the tension ease out of your body. And a great way to do that is with this long exhale, you're really stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system and helping the body relax. And the deeper you relax, the deeper you can breathe. So, yes. Yeah. And it does great things for the vagus nerve too. Well, that's it, you know, because you're breathing down into the lower abdomen. Yeah, right down in there. Yeah. <laughs> and in the, when that starts regulating the breath, everything changes. That's what we're doing in Zazen with every breath, in Zen meditation. Every breath is that kind of deep, hara-regulated breathing. Yeah. So, I believe, speak with I, you. I believe that what we're doing is to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Eighty-six generations have been woven <laughs> in tonight. What a massive reweaving of ancients into this cloak. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jean Whitelaw. And tell us that website one more time. Thank you. Zenleader.global. Zenleader.global. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, everyone. Talk to you next week. Good night. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.